Welcome into Between Two Fats, part of the I'm Fat podcast. I don't know, are we calling this a network? Is this just a bonus episode? Well, it's called a bonus episode. That's what we're going to do here. I'm Rick Camp alongside Jay Zawoski. Follow us on all of our social media at I'm Fat Pod, I'm Fat Pod at gmail.com, Patreon, T Public. Make sure you're checking out all the T Public stuff. Let's make sure to get uh, use that I'm Fat Podcast link there. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to youtube.com slash I'm Fat Podcast and check out our sponsors, Charlie the Bacon Guy, Mazda of Orland Park, and Fredo's Culinary Kitchen. Jay, this isn't the weekend. What the hell are we doing here? Uh, we have a very special guest today. And when we talk about uh, the ultimate job that you could ever hope to have in your mm-hmm. life, um, you could talk about maybe professional golfer. Uh, you talk about you know maybe major league bullpen catcher. I don't think either of those hold a candle to the head grill master at Weber. Our guest is Kevin Coleman. He's on Twitter at Kevin's Backyard. We're going to get some grilling tips ahead of Labor Day from probably the world's grilling authority, which is yeah. like that's really not an understatement, is it, Kevin? I don't I don't think so. I mean, when it comes to barbecue and grilling. We pretty much invented the game back in 1952. And so if you're going to the source of barbecue, you've absolutely found it. That's awesome. So tell us about yourself before we get into the questions. How did you get like, you know, you don't seem like a, a very old person by any means. Uh, you know, how did you become Weber Grill, Matt? Like, what is the path to that career? Yeah, it was a, a very non-traditional path. I started out in our customer service um, department answering phones in the summer because it was bunch of us college kids that did it, got promoted to our parts store um, and did that while I went away to school to get my undergraduate, and my master's degree. And the funny thing is, is I'm colorblind. So I wasn't much of a griller. It was more like I could fix them, tell you what's wrong with them, dissect them and all that other stuff and just never was a cook. Right. And so I ended up getting out of Eastern Illinois with my master's degree and Jim Steven, who is, whose dad founded the business, created a position for me. His brother, Bill, would allow me to come and work in the summers doing product knowledge sessions. And so I would go around the U.S., a little bit of um, the Caribbean, and just teach people feature benefits, you know, how to service them. And during that time, I befriended the head chef at our R&D lab, Edna Slosher, whose husband was our, our lead engineer, who basically almost every patent at Weber went through Eric. And he was just this, this amazing guy that could dissect and build things. And he was an engineer, but a very nonlinear one. And Edna, she cooked there for like 30 years. And so any grill that came out, she tested, tested, retested, retested, all these things just to make sure they worked properly every day she would cook. And so I befriended both of those two, because if there was problems in the in the marketplace, I could go to the engineers and say, hey, why is the grill designed this way? Why is it doing this? How do we fix that? And then with her, you know, she was just like, hey, come over. I'd go over there at like 10 in the morning. She would cook every day. We'd test every day. And eventually it was like, hey, Kevin, do you want to take this, this prototype home and cook on it this weekend? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm getting free grills, free meat, free fuel. Like, shit, this is, this is the jackpot, baby. And then, you know, with her, it was, it was one of those things that it was like, oh, this is, this is perfect. Like, we're testing. I'm cooking with her. And then it was, hey, do you want to try to do this video? Do you want to try to do this interview? And then all of a sudden, you know, 16 countries later and filmed with almost every major network out there, it was like, this is a freaking amazing gig. And so what's been always fun for me is 
you know, no matter where I went in the world, there was always a Weber and I always felt like I was at home. Right. And so when you're cooking with all these different cultures and doing all these different things, the miraculous thing about barbecue is it's such an inclusive thing. Right. So it's not uppity. And so everybody paints their canvases a little bit differently. Like you have the same proteins almost everywhere around the world. It's just how they season them. Right. And how they do it their way. And so I'd like to say Weber is the perfect marriage of art and science because we have the science when it comes to engineering and designing grills. And that allows you as a, as a consumer, as a cook, to spend more time focusing on that art form and how you paint you know, your canvas from seasoning it to smoking it to saucing it to all those beautiful things. You get to spend way more time on that than worrying about if the grill doesn't work, right? And so it's been this amazing um, journey. And the, the, the most important part is we get to do it one, for a living, but two, just to be able to have impacts on people and, and teach them and just help them cook better. Well, Kevin, it's great because, you know, we talked about, we've, we've had this plan for a couple months. You know, we've been working with Amanda from Weber to get this done and we've been promoting it with our listeners and we have gotten so many questions from, you know, how do I grill this specific meat to how should I clean this? You know, so we've got, we run the gamut and, and you'd say it, it, it is very inclusive. Like I can run out and grill 10 hot dogs as good as anybody in the world. My buddy can, can smoke stuff and he's built rigs for his smoker to, to keep it hotter. And like, everyone's got their own level of skill, but you're right. Like the, you'd never want to fight with equipment and that, like yeah. you want the stuff to work. And I think that's why I love the Weber stuff I have. I have the traveler. I just had a baby Q before that because it was just me and my wife at the time. Now we, we upgraded to the Traveler. Uh, and it's just so nice to not have to. I also have a Smoky Mountain. To not have to worry about mechanical failure while you're trying to feed and entertain a bunch of people. And that's like that's what makes Weber the great brand it is. I know uh, uh, an American made in America. And I think are the company headquarters in Schaumburg. Is that right? They're in Palatine. Palatine which is, okay. I mean, it's right on Schaumburg, Palatine. They yeah. all kind of border each yeah. other. So, yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think our listeners of the AmFab podcast know uh, Weber is the place to go for all your grilling needs. So we've got a bunch of questions. I want to start. I have I have two of my own that I've been wanting to ask and I've been holding them. So I am a very amateur smoker. I don't I'm not very good at it. I've usually what I do is I'll, I'll get it started and then I struggle to keep it hot so I had to finish it off in the oven, which isn't the end of the world because meat only takes so much smoke. Right. But it's kind of the I feel like my man card should be revoked when I can't finish the whole thing on a smoker. So I have the Smoky Mountain, like I said, and I use the minion method, which is what I've looked up in terms of like lining my coals in that circular motion. I get the chimney starter going, dump it in there, but I just can't seem to keep it hot enough, long enough for a like a pork shoulder or something that's you know high fat that's going to take some time what's the best way to stack the the briquettes or or maybe just what am i doing wrong that's not letting them stay hot long enough which which smoky mountain is it the 18 or 22 just 22 okay so the reason why i ask that is because in the 18 it's a more compact unit right Mm -hmm. it runs more efficient because of the the water pan that runs closer to the charcoal so you less you have less oxygen moving around the 18 so it's at times a little harder to get it to 225 250 but once you do that sucker locks in no problem the 22 on the other hand there is more gap between that water pan and where the charcoal sits and so you have more circulation so you shouldn't necessarily have a harder time getting up to temperature maintaining it there's a little bit of fluctuation not anything that's going to like throw you off um it does eat a little bit more charcoal than the 18 
But when I cook, like the one thing I won't do is ever run out of fuel because I set it up accordingly. And so what I mean by that is the 22 and a half inch kettle, it's similar to the, the minion method. I, I control all the variables. So I want each damper at the bottom about a quarter of a, about a half, half to a quarter. If it's hot outside, if it's spring, summer, fall, it's probably going to be more towards a quarter than a half. If it's the wintertime, it's going to be a half. And the reason why is you have five different variables, sometimes six running in a smoker at once. You have the water pan if you have it with water. If you don't, you have the three dampers on the bottom. You have the damper on the top. Mm -hmm. I like to just control from the top. I don't like to mess with the bottom. And so what I'll do is I'll set those dampers accordingly. If I'm cooking six hours, eight hours or less, it goes up to about the middle of the charcoal ring. If I'm cooking a shoulder, anything more, I'm filling it all the way up to the top with dry charcoal. My wood now is going to be underneath that charcoal because I don't want that wood to ignite. If the wood ignites, if it combusts, there's a lot of dirty things that are inside of in, in the wood that causes dirty smoke. It's what you, if you ever had bad barbecue and you're burping it up two hours afterwards, um, that's what that is. It's dirty, it's dirty, dirty smoke. And so my wood would go down first, then my charcoal. I will take a half a chimney of lit charcoal and dump that on top. I will let the smoker sit for about five minutes to get the other charcoal going. I'll then put it together and then I will have the damper on the lid about half open because that way I can adjust. If it's too hot, I can choke that down. If it's too cold, I can open it up. The other thing too is I like for, for this, especially the 22, I like a liter and a half to two liters for a six to eight hour smoke. I like about three liters for when I'm doing a, uh, 12, 14, 16 hour smoke. Problem is sometimes if you use too much water in that water pan, it ends up use, really working as a heat sink and that's going to cause the temperatures. It's going to eat more fuel because that's such a mass that it's, that it's um, in the water pan. And it depends on your, your school of thought. I like humidity inside. It, the easiest way to explain it to people is like, if there is humidity outside, your clothes will stick to you, right? Like just like here in Chicago, especially tomorrow, it's supposed to be extremely humid. You come in an air conditioned house. Oh, wow. feels good. Right. Smoke adheres to things that are cold and things that are wet. And so that's where, if you can get the humidity going inside the smoker, it'll get more smoke on your food. Also, if you're spritzing it down periodically throughout when you cook it, that particulate it's basically like a magnet that meat and the moisture is attracting the smoke. And so it's just sticking to it. Right. And so that's where it's important to set it up correctly, because if you don't do those things, you have a problem. Like when I explain food, especially barbecue, I like to call it my four pillars of barbecue. Give me a good pit. Give me good fuel. Give me good meat. Give me a good methodology. If I can control those things, then I understand where you're having your issues at. So if you're having trouble with your, with controlling temperatures or not having enough fuel, one, it could be the fuel you're using. So what kind of charcoal are you using? Second, it could be how are you setting it up? And then are you using too much water or not enough water? So if we check that, now we can move to where are you buying your meat? Where are you sourcing it? Okay, what rubber are you putting it on? Are you, are you foiling it, butcher papering it not? Are you, you know, what, what's your method? Are you doing all and, and how it cooks? And so that helps me understand where people are because I'm such a process, process driven cook because I learned being colorblind, temperature and time were the only things that I could guarantee that I knew how to get things done correctly, right? And so that's where, like, if you're not, if you're doing a pork shoulder and you're not having, um, and, you're, and you're running out of fuel, then I would fill it almost, I mean, all the way to the top, if not a little bit extra of dry charcoal, just to make sure that you're going to get through it. Now, I wouldn't say, I mean, putting it in the oven is a cheat, 
to a certain degree. But like you say, once it's wrapped, it's really not doing anything else but eating fuel, which is costing you, right? And so you could throw that in the oven at 225 and keep it going and nothing's really changing except for the fact that you can go to sleep and not have to worry about the power going on in your house unless it's really bad weather, right? So I wouldn't say it's a man cart thing because <laughs> there's a lot of people that, you know, they do chicken breasts in the, in the oven and then they put barbecue sauce on it and they're still technically barbecue, so we're winning. But <laughs> And I say that because a lot of the stuff, like we spending so much time with pitmasters in Texas when you talk brisket and working with Aaron and all those guys, like a lot of them do things out of necessity. So they'll cook low and slow overnight because they don't want to have somebody man their pits. So they, they run these pits like Buley's that, they work on the damper system. So when it gets down to a certain temperature, it opens up the dampers. And then when it gets to that temperature, it closes them down. Well, they cook slow throughout the night. They get in at four or five in the morning. They wrap their briskets. They jump the pits to 300 to get them done, to get them in the auto sham so they can let them rest for four to six hours. And it's perfect. So some of the stuff is done out of necessity versus not. Like you can get a propane smoker and use a little bit of wood on it. But at the end of the day, it's just running clean propane right? Like mm. a lot of those old hickory pits are doing that. So that's where like, it gets really murky about, well, are you taking my man car by the oven or am I cooking really <laughs> kick ass barbecue and I'm getting a good night's sleep. So you got to manage that. Yeah. My man car was gone a long time ago. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the other question I have for you is the traveler has the porcelain grates. Uh, am I supposed to use a steel brush on that or should I get the nylon bristles uh, and, and brush it when it's cold? I remember this is this is a funny. I had an interview with Dean Richards. This is probably a while back, Fourth of July, and I was like, "You got to make sure you use a Weber brush on those." And he's like, "Oh, I get it. It's Weber. You have to. It's it's a commercial." I'm like, "Well, actually, what I appreciate about what Weber does and has always does is we spend more time with that product than anybody." And so I would say you can use a stainless steel bristle brush on those grates if it's a Weber brush because we've already tested that to know that they're not going to break down the surfaces. They're not going to scratch. They're not going to pull. Cause some people, if you buy the wrong brush and let's say it's happened, like when I was in the parts store way back in the day, somebody came in, they had cast iron grates. We didn't porcelainize those like you have on your traveler right now. And they came in a bag with motor oil on the grates. And they were like, well, the home Depot person told me that I need to season these with motor oil. Right. So the customer is always right, but maybe not always bright. Right. And so just like with this, like if you use a Weber stainless steel brush, if you use our, 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 our brushes on accessories that we have, we know that we've tested that, that it's not going to cause damage. I can't speak for anything else okay? because I, that that's, that's where it gets a little bit murky because some are made cheaper and the bristles will pull off. Some are made that it'll scratch and just really get down deep because of the size of the bristles. And so that's where like, for me, I just go with our brushes. I know they work well. I know they don't scratch. I can use them on lids. I can use them on grates. It takes everything off. The other thing I would say too is always heat up your grates, burn off the food first before you scrape it, right? Because what happens if you don't do that, and a lot of people getting into grilling, they're trying to figure it all out. Trust me, I made a lot of these mistakes myself, like tons of them, great stories there, especially smokers in the back of my truck getting pulled over by a cop because I didn't have a way to hold a brisket. And so I just put the WSM in the back of my truck and went by a police officer and she, you know, the back of your car is smoking. I'm like, Oh yeah, no, it's just a brisket. She's like, all right, well just be safe and have a good weekend. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, all right. But that's where, you know, knowing that it's not going to cause any damage, knowing that it's going to work properly. But if you schmutz up the bristles by taking things off that are cold, you just gummed up the whole brush and you might as well throw it out. And so that's where like the brushes will last you longer. If you just heat everything up, burn it off and then give it a quick scrape. 
Long answer, but a good answer. No, it's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. So I'm anybody listens to the podcast knows I'm a sucker for brisket. Like that is we got to hang out. That's the best thing I cook, period. (laughs) Good. Yes. Because, man, like I know everybody can have their pork. I'll take brisket every day. So my question is, though, in your mind, what's the best wood to use for smoking brisket? I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stigma in Chicago. Do you put ketchup on a hot dog? Do you not? Do you thin pizza, thick pizza? I, I'm, I'm, I, this is me. There's certain regions of the world that I like barbecue from Texas. I like Oak on my briskets. That's Mm -hmm. what I prefer. That's just me. You can go to Valentina's down there. He does a fantastic job. They're doing mesquite, but a lot of the reason the regionality of barbecue comes from the woods that are indigenous to those areas. Right. And so post Oak is a very, indigenous wood to texas and but i love that flavor of wood on meat my pork i would rather go a little bit of hickory with apple and cherry it's a sweeter it's a lighter fragrance hickory provides the color so i'm a post oak guy but again it's how you set up your grill too like i can get logs and there's a place in the city um it's actually like a stone's throw away from um the sears tower um and it's a wood place that they'll actually like cut them for me, but they have all these different types of woods. But the cool thing with the WSMs is I'll have them cut me 10 inch logs and I'll put one or two of those down in my WSM and then put the charcoal on top. And you get this beautiful fragrance of wood, but I'm a big, I'm a big Texas post oak when it comes to, to brisket. I'm a salt pepper post oak guy. That's it. That's all you're going to get. But boy, is it good. <laughs> So the next one we're going to do in person and we're just going to eat and talk. That's probably the best way. That's fine. That's here for it. You have to argue with us on that one. Right. All right. Should we get to some of the uh, listener questions here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, We got one here from Joe. He says, over the last few years, I have seen several different methods for cooking pizza on a Weber charcoal grill. The first method is putting the pizza directly on the grates. The second is using a pizza stone. The third is using a pizza oven conversion kit like the Pizza Q. Which method would you recommend and what are some secrets to successfully grilling a pizza? Oh, pizzas are one of my favorite thing. I actually, if you talk about brisket, I'll take the brisket fat that comes out of the foil and I make butter with that. We call it the black truffle of the South and I'll shave some of that oh. over pizzas when we make it. It's oh absolutely freaking awesome. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. And, and, oh. And, and that's the great thing about pizzas is they're fantastic. I, I'm, I, I can do it either way. Like if I'm cooking for a large group, I like putting them directly on the grates. I have a large family. Everybody has an opinion. The nice thing about pizzas, if I do them on the grates, is they can all pick what they want, and then they we build them. They can make them. We put them back on, finish it. So it's like usually 450 degrees for about four to five minutes a side. Take it, you know, put the side down the grates, take it off, make it, put it back on. It works fantastic. Stones are stones are good. Pizza stones are good. I prefer more of a ceramic baking stone myself. I just have better success with them. The challenge with doing pizzas on a stone is the stone, the cordierite, has to get up to temperature. And so it's going to take you 30 to 45 minutes to really get that stone where it needs to be, where you can do pizzas at a consistent play where you're getting, you know, five or six minutes, six, seven minutes on a, on a pizza and it's done, right? And so key to that is thin layer of charcoal down. You can, you can go two layers if you're going to be doing numerous ones. The temperature of the grill's got to be 450. The, the challenge with people, and it's not just pizzas, but steaks, burgers, chicken, whatever, just because you can get more power doesn't mean you know how to use it. Like you can get the stone to 600 degrees or 800 like you would see in a, in a restaurant, 
but the margin of error on that pizza becomes extremely small. If I can get that stone 450-ish, I can put those pizzas on six, seven minutes, five, six minutes, depending on the thickness of the dough, and those things come out beautifully. The nice thing about a kettle is it's because of that circular motion. You get brownie, you get the bubbles, you get all, all the amazing things that go into doing pizza, but it's just setting it up right. If you go higher, it just starts to torch the bottom of that pizza. If you have too much cheese and too much ingredients, it extends the period of time that pizza's on. And then all of a sudden we're in, we're in burnt on the bottom, looks mm. good on the top because yeah. it, you're not, it's not equalizing itself. So I like four, 450, ideally a little bit less is fine. Five, six minutes, seven minutes, depending on the thickness of that. And those suckers are done and ready to go. I prefer that way. I also have like a smoke fire. It's fantastic to do pizzas at the pellet grill, but it has a fan inside that moves the air. That's what they run off of. And it's so efficient. We have our summit, our high-end gas grills that have an IR burner in the back. And so that just bounces the heat down on top of the cheese that creates a crazy freaking browning on there. So like pizzas are one of my favorite things to cook. Kettles are fantastic, but you can do them on almost any grill. This one's from our guy, Rush Schneider. What is the biggest mistake you see people make when grilling with propane? And the same question for charcoal. Well, the biggest, the biggest thing is running out. There was a tailgate that I was throwing mm-hmm. down uh, on the Waldron deck. And normally if you come to my tailgates, it's usually I have an endless meat cooler. And we got down off of 290. And I was like, shoot, I didn't bring a tank. <laughs> and so we had to turn off, go to the Walgreens, pick up a tank. And it was actually perfect because it got us right up on the deck about 8.05. We didn't have to wait in line, which is awesome. Um, the biggest mistake with, with people with propane, one, you run, out, you run out because you don't have enough gas. Two, you're not preheating the grill properly. That's usually the biggest mistake because if you're not preheating it properly, a couple things will happen. One, the food's going to stick because the grates aren't hot enough to caramelize the food that's on there. Two, you preheated it too hot. And so now depending on if you have porcelain enamel, cast iron grates, or stainless, that can really pull leaner poultry fish to the grates and it makes it stick because the heat's so intense. So preheating the grill is by far the most important because that's the first step of the foundation of what you're going to be cooking. Everything else from there kind of falls into place. Preheat it properly, then you know the time it's on, you know what time you're going to flip, you know what time it comes off at the temperature, and that really gets you that game plan. Same thing with charcoal. Not charting. I mean, charcoal is a little different because you have to set up zones at times. And so not setting up like your game plan of like, am I cooling direct? Am I doing indirect and direct? So am I doing a two zone fire? Am I doing a three zone fire where it's hot? It starts to come down and there's nothing where I can adjust. And so getting that situation first, and that's why I say like my four pillars is what's the grill you're cooking on and how to set it up. Cause that leads to the next one of the meat you're going to be cooking. That then leads to the techniques you're using. And that's going to lead to the flavors that you're putting on it. And so the setup the preheat by far is the most important because that's your foundation. This is sort of similar uh, on, on the question Rick just asked. Uh, lots of recipes say to oil grill grates before putting on the food. However, I've also heard others say to oil the foods, not the grates. What should I do? Oil the grates or oil the food? That's from Chris. That's a good question from Chris. My good friend, Stephen Reichland, he would say, you need to order, we need to oil the grates. It helps from food sticking. And you guys have grills. If you use a common sense approach to it, it kind of makes sense for people on a couple levels. One, I always oil the food. It does a couple things. It, it, it'll keep the barbecue rub adhering to it, which is nice because it's going to give you more flavor. When you put that protein on there, the amino acid react, uh, uh, interacting with the grate causes that great caramelization. If I oil the grates, the food has two sides. So you're going to have to flip it. The grate size on our charcoal grates is seven millimeters. And so you're really only getting oil 
on seven millimeters, but it's round, so it's not flat, so it's not really sitting there. And so the majority of that oil is now pooling in the inside of your grill. And I'm sure we all can attest to understanding that fire and oil go really well together. (laughs) Fat loves fire, right? And so while you're continually oiling the grates, all that oil is just going to pool inside the grill. And if you're not cleaning it out, which a lot of people don't, you have a chance for a little bit of a thermal event because you're going to have flare-ups. You're going to have all this stuff going on. And so that's where, for me, I oil both sides of the food. That way I know when it's done on one side, it's going to come right off the grates because it's been you know, lubricated with the oil. It also has the rub on there and it flips nice and easy and you have no major issues. And so I'm a big firm believer in oiling the grates or oiling the food because you don't run into those problems of the majority of the oil going into the grill. This one's from Anne Marie and Jim. Our questions regarding the inside top of our charcoal Weber grill peeling away. We've read up on this issue, but we'd like to hear directly from the grill master how to handle this to make sure those peeling pieces don't fall into our food while we're cooking. We also don't want to scrape it away if we're not, if we aren't supposed to. One, well, so grills work pretty efficiently when they're first bought. If you have, if you have that inside carbonized grease forming and that's what it is, it's, it's kind of a badge of honor because that means you're actually using your grill, right? Like if it's yeah. not there, you're like, well, maybe you need to get back reacclimated with this beautiful barbecue you have in your backyard. But what happens is the humidity inside there, the grease, the smoke starts to bake itself onto the lid. Now that lid, our porcelain enamel lids are baked on at about 16 to 1700 degrees. If something were to happen to those lids, it would shatter like glass. It wouldn't peel, right? And so that's where when you get people like, oh, I get it. And what happens is if you look at the pieces, one side is shiny and one side's dull, right? And so if you use your stainless steel brush that you have, whoever one, scrape all that fleck off, it's not going to cause an issue. Is it going to get you sick? No, but it doesn't look very good. And so it's not like it's not like it's porcelain. It's not like the grill's falling apart. It's just that carbonized grease that a simple stainless steel brush, a plastic scraper, just scrape all those flecks off. And that's pretty much it. Away, away it goes. We got that question a lot. I think we had four or five people ask that. And I, I noticed that on my parents. They have an old Genesis. And uh, I noticed yep. the same thing. And they're like, oh, I think the paint's coming off. I'm like, no, this is this is a Weber. It's not the paint coming off. So, yeah. 1,600 degrees. It's not getting that hot. That thing would probably melt before then. Right. All right. We got a couple of voicemails that people left for us. So let's take a departure from the emails and jump on the voicemails real quick. Hey, Grillmaster. It's Jason from Oshkosh. I really love the idea of smoking wings, but both times that I've tried to do it, because the amount of grease that's coming off the wings always causes such a flare-up with the flames, and uh, both times I've had big burnouts on all the wings. Is there an easier way for me to be able to grill or smoke a large quantity of wings for a football game um, without these huge flare-ups that end up ruining all of my wings? Thanks. Great question. One, when we're doing wings, we probably shouldn't be drinking too much beer until afterwards. That way we can celebrate. <laughs> we actually did that right versus before. So we checked that box. Wings are like, I mean, that's a staple in our house. I'm not a huge fan of smoking poultry because you need 300, 325 to get the skin crispy. A lot of people try to do it low and slow. 225 doesn't work. It does. They are, can be fatty. So you need a two zone fire. If it's a charcoal grill, I line them up on the outside of the grate and i put the heat directly in the center if you can't do that if you're on a gas grill you can do the outside burners on 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 medium or low put all the wings in the center the challenge is keeping the grease away from the heat like that's the number one thing 
Because if you don't do that and the temperatures are, let's say, 300, 400, 450, depending on if you're trying to do hot and fast wings, like you're going to have a lot of grease coming off of there and that stuff loves to pool. And so you need an indirect zone to cook those wings. I like doing mine 30 to 45 minutes. I like 325-ish. I use a little bit of cornstarch that has a great, it does a great job in drying them out. It crisps them up extremely nice. Is it a little bit of a hack and cheat? Yes. But when you're eating great wings, I don't really care. Like <laughs> everybody has a little nuances for stuff. You can still get great wings in direct heat at 400 degrees, 425. It just, the internals go up a little bit higher because the wings are cooking, cooking a little bit faster. Does that make sense? And so what I, just what I like to do, the other thing that you can do, if you're in a gas grill, use a water pan underneath what you're cooking, a grease collection, add a little bit of water to that. So the majority of that wing grease is going into that instead of your grill. One, it's going to make it easier for you to clean up the grill when it's done. And two, it's going to have a less chance of igniting if you don't have all that grease pulling in the bottom of it. All right, we got uh, one more voicemail. It's a three-part question, so it's good. All good. Oh all good questions. <laughs> hey, Pat, your buddy Brian. Got a couple of questions for your Weber Grillmaster uh, that you're going to be talking to. So I've got a Weber Genesis 410 model. It's the natural gas. Got it a couple of years ago. I really like it. Uh, it's my third Weber. Uh, this one has the, I guess it's porcelain enameled cast iron cooking grate. And one side is flat, and the other side is kind of like triangle shape. It comes to a point. Didn't know if there's any difference or what the Weber Grillmaster would recommend grilling on. I usually use the flat side, but I was recently at somebody's house and was grilling, and they used the pointy side. Didn't know if there's any difference there or what, the, again, what the Grillmaster recommends. On, you know, to kind of tag on to that, my, uh, my parents have a summit. Uh, grill and that comes with like stainless steel round bars for the grilling grate. I really like those a lot better than the cast iron or the porcelain enamel cast iron that I have. I didn't know are these things interchangeable? Can I buy a set of the Summit grills and put them on my Genesis? I would love to do that if that's possible. And then third question I have is what do you all use for barbecue aprons? I have an apron that I've been using for some time. I'm not the biggest fan of it, and I've, you know, singed, burned a couple of holes in it just uh, with my cooking endeavors. Didn't know if there's something that, that you know, the grill master would recommend to you. So appreciate your feedback. Thanks for taking the time to do this, guys. Uh, love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. All right. So I wrote them down in case you forgot. <laughs> the first one was the the on the uh, Genesis, the flat side or the pointed side of the grates. It, it's a six and one half dozen. The other I, I personally like the flat side more because it gives you more caramelization. We have a bigger surface there. And so you get more of the browning on the meat. You get more of that, that caramelization, the amino acid with the rub. And so those those great those grill marks are larger on the flat side than they are the pointed side. But it's a it's it's a six and one thing. Like I, I was in where were we at Caribbean and went to a bar and it was five dollars a drink and they put the bottle of Jack Daniels in front of you and they gave you a can of Coke and they said you make it and I was like Is somebody messing with me here. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I think it was St. John. Like right when you get off the the, the boat going there, it's like she's like no. And so I'm like like I'm pouring a lot of Jack and I'm watching her and then I'm pouring a little bit of Coke and then the moment I put them down, she took them away. Right. And so some people like a little more Jack in their Coke. Some people like a little <laughs> less Jack. So that's where like the greats, it's kind of like a six and one half dozen. The other, like 
you might, I like it this way. Okay. I can't tell you what you're going to like and what you're not going to like. I just personally like more brown, more browning I can get, the more flavor the food has, the better it looks. And so that's the way that I do. The next one was the summit grill grates. Are they interchangeable? Could you buy those uh, rounded? Um, I don't think that the size of the Genesis grates is the same as the summit. You'd have to check the size. So basically just measure one end to the other. And that would tell you, I do know that the Genesis does come in stainless steel grates. They're not as big as the rotted ones that you would find on a summit. Um, and that's another one of those, you know, Coke and Pepsi things. Like some people like cast iron, it does cook things faster. It is more efficient because it's porous. And so food has a tendency to cook faster on that than it would on a stainless steel grate. Um, the heat's a little bit more consistent across the grate because the cast iron absorbs the heat. And so like, I like rod grates for certain things, fish and chicken, because it's less heat on them. Like those proteins have a tendency to pull down to the grates because they're not as fatty. And so if your temperatures are a little bit off with those, they have a tendency to stick. If the temperatures are too high, the, the rods, they don't. And so some of the girls, if you were here, you would see, I have both in there, depending on what I'm going to be cooking. And then uh, the last one was a barbecue apron recommendation. I don't really, really use aprons. I probably should because <laughs> grease stains on the side drive me crazy. I actually would wear, what do they call them? I have a couple of them where they're not full aprons. I usually tie off at the waist and I don't have anything up here because I don't like anything up here. I'm more of a handsy guy. So I'm constantly wiping my hands on the side of my pants. And so I can't remember if they were like server aprons or I can't remember the name of them, but most, even if I have a regular apron, I fold it down and just have it strictly down. I know like Headley Bennett makes a really good apron. I've, wor I've worked with Ellen a little bit. She's fantastic. Those aprons, I mean, you see them all over the place. I have a leather one that I got from um, Australia that a guy makes, and that thing is, is absolutely killer. Um, but I'm not so much of an apron guy. Just not me. Yeah, understood. All right, got a couple more here before we wrap things up uh, with Kevin Coleman, the Weber grill master. Uh, this is from our buddy, Charlie, the bacon guy, and we need to connect you two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Charlie is uh, our buddy who, who makes craft bacon out of his garage. And it's just absolutely incredible. Um, That's what we, we, we need to get a hold of this guy. We got to yes. do one together. We're just going to sit yes. and eat and talk shop and that's it. Yes. You guys yeah, would, just, you'd hit it off. words. Chorizo bacon. Yeah. Is. Oh, it's. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's incredible. It's close. Uh, Charlie says, I've seen these new Kingsford flavor briquettes. Do those actually infuse that flavor or is it just a marketing ploy? I would say, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe try to do this the PC way. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> some people are going to say, oh, I can taste the flavor and there's ways to manipulate that. So we know by science that the only thing that penetrates meat is salt and water, right? You're not getting any marinade inside of meat that you know, I could taste it in the meat. Well, part of the reason why you taste the marinade in the meat is because when you take your knife and you slice into something, that top surface stuff gets on the knife. And then when you go to slice the next piece, that stuff is on the, the, the food. And so you're like, oh, I could taste the marinade. Nah, if you jacard it, if it has been um, tenderized, that is a tendency to poke holes in it or get deeper into the meat. And there's a lot of imperfections on meat, which marinates sit. And so that's where like, I, um, when you get more flavor on things, you, you, you're in a better position to cook better food. I guess that, does that make sense? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. 
trying to think of the best way to, to say it. You're not getting flavor put in by the onion or whatever flavors of your charcoal or your pellets. You're getting it on the surface. That particulate is sitting on the surface. And so what happens, you smell the fragrance of things, right? It's like cooking with beer. When you make a beer can chicken, you're not infusing the chicken with beer, but the aromas of the beer work well. I'm a bigger fan of basting things with beer because the natural sugars will sit on top of food and that gives you a flavor and a, and a, you don't normally have. I learned that when I went to a three-day beer school at Sam Adams taught by a third-level Cicerone. It was like, almost took the fun out of drinking beer after three days of like, oh, I know where this came from, this region of hop. And I'm like, shit, man, I'm, I'm here to drink beer. Let's go. Yeah. And so like the aromas you can definitely pick up but it's not something that's penetrating into the food. You might taste it because when you take the knife and you slice into your ribs and you get that smoke and fat and, and seasoning on there that when you go to slice the next rib, you get it on the side of it. And that's a competition trick, but that's something that you're really not penetrating that flavor into the meat. It's just sitting on the surface. And if the charcoal isn't completely ashed over and burnt, a lot of people like that charcoal flavor mm -hmm. because they're not even cooking things right. It's not completely ashed over. And so you're getting more of that flavor on food than you are actually getting the taste of, the, 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 the smell of, of, of the charcoal. And the thing too is like, I learned this in the beer school, but you have 10 million receptors in your nose. You have like 9,000 or 10,000 on your tongue, right? And so everything you're doing is through your nose, not through your, your mouth. So you can manipulate flavors by the smell of things because you're getting more, you're getting way more taste coming from your nose. That's, I mean, that's how people manipulate beer glasses. Sam Adams spent $1.2 million with MIT students designing a glass that was thicker at the bottom so that way, when your hand grabs it, it doesn't chill the beer down. It goes small to get big because it allows the fragrances to come up and your tongue naturally wants to go inside the glass, which then you're getting more smell, which is making the beer more flavorful, right? And so that's like the cool thing that the science of how things go, a lot of it is based off of that smell. And the more you can get on there, the more you're going to have is flavor, what people think. That Sam Adams glass is no joke, by the way. Right. I did the beer tour and tried that and it was, it was incredible how they seriously mit engineers designed they just kept sending them beer and said make us a glass okay <laughs> oh yeah i mean it was it was it was so fun there like i i ended up we, i did a lot of work with them way back so i have a nice bottle of utopias that actually jim signed that we keep that's like for a special day um but just it's fascinating the science and the art of beer and how they marriage those two things and, and things you don't think about just like the glass like it's like, no way. And then you're in this beer school with Ken Smith, who is the Cicerone, and you're banging your finger on the glass like, it is thicker down here, mm -hmm. right? But that's how, when you look at really good wines, you get a, a Zalto glass, you get one of those higher-end wine glasses that it smells completely different because of how and what it's made from. And that's part of the fun of just food is how do you get more flavor out of things? And that comes from smoke. It comes from your seasoning. It comes from how you do like butcher paper versus foil, right? Butcher paper is going to give you more meaty flavor. It's going to, it, the, the foil is going to give you more pot roast kind of flavor. It's going to dumb it down. And so can you manipulate both of those things to get a more flavorful brisket or flavorful ribs, right? And so that's where the fun comes in. You really start diving down deep into the science and the smells and how you can do that and just create better, better food, better barbecue. I know it's a long-winded answer to no, the question. No, you're not no, really penetrating great. it, but there's a lot of other things you can do. Makes total yes. sense. Right. And I mean... If it if it took the MIT people that long to be like, you know what, thicker at the bottom is better. I think we've known that for a while. Yeah, we're in business. <laughs> yes, we are absolutely in business. So <laughs> the next one, and you've covered this a bit in specific context, but 
on on just more of a standard basic Weber grill using indirect versus or direct versus indirect heat for grilling your meats, and then I guess if you got to keep other people happy, maybe vegetables too. <laughs> well, everybody has a place, right? We have we have a, a vegetarian or or pescatarian in our house. My eight year old daughter decided she was going to play a prank on daddy and say, "I'm going to be a vegetarian now. I'm not eating meat anymore." And I was like, "Well." All right, Get you out. just lost your yeah. You just lost your <laughs> iPad. You just lost TV privileges. You are not doing anything. It's more for you. And then she figured out that she can't have Chick Fil A, and so that pretty much the, the, the house of cards fell for her. Um, <laughs> but you know, like the thing about it too is like I, I love the fact we do a ton of vegetables and stuff on the grill. And and you know, a funny question for people is like, well, my vegetables keep falling through the grill. How do I get them so they don't do that? Well, there's two ways. One, just cut larger size vegetable pieces. And they won't fall through or get yourself a veggie basket and that will solve the problem. I'm a, I'm a big time. Like I'm very regimented in what I do because I've done it for so long and there's a certain expectation I have when I cook. And so anything less than an inch and a half, I will cook over direct heat. Anything over an inch and a half, I'm going to roast it first, indirect first, and I'm going to sear it at the end. And the challenge with all that is, is meat is 70 to 75% water. And so if you take a two inch, three inch thick steak and try to throw that onto a hot grill, that sucker is going to contract. It's going to start pushing moisture out because it's just in a very abrasive environment. If I roast that thing over indirect heat, which is just convective air going on. And that's the thing inside of a grill. You've got radiant heat coming from whatever source of heat you have, like charcoal, pellet, um, gas. Then you have convective air and that's what's cooking things. You also have conductive energy from the grates going into the food. And so all three of those things simultaneously are playing in the, in the way food is cooking more convective than not. And so if you're roasting at first, it's like very much like sous vide. You're slowly bringing that thing up to temperature. So it's not pushing all of that moisture out. And then you can just hit it nice and good at the end. And that's where you get like to the carryover stuff and things will carry over 15 to 17 degrees. The thicker something is, the higher the carryover is. And so if you really want a medium rare steak, you might have to take that off at like 100 to 102 because it's going to carry over 13 degrees while you let it rest for five minutes. And so that's where like, it's that whole, like my grilling game plan of what am I cooking? And then I start getting into that technique of like, is it direct or is it indirect? Or is it a combination of both? Or like beautiful thing is you have that Weber traveler, right? Like, you can do some pretty good smoked wings on the WSM and then take those suckers over to the traveler, get a little bit of browning and char on those suckers. And you're, you've got the best of both worlds. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's sometimes too, the fun thing of playing is like, can I smoke something to give it some dimension and then fix it, change it over to a gas grill just to get that beautiful marking to it. And you've got a really fun way of playing with food now because you've created a depth of flavor that normally isn't there because you smoked it first. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, I got one more for you here before I let you go, Kevin. Uh, money is no object, right? Let's say you've you've won the mega millions, whatever, and you're going to buy one. Yeah, why haven't you claimed it yet, by the way? That like billion plus is still just sitting out there. Yeah, seriously. I, I'm, pa I'm patiently waiting my time. You know, I know people are going to go crazy when I do it. So I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, diffuse it. And then I'll go up there with like basically a ski mask on or something. So no one knows. There you go. Call it a day. Fair enough. Uh, you've already won the lottery with your job, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, money's no object, right? And and you got a blank check. What is the, is the top Weber product you would buy? Like if, what is like the be all end all product that Weber sells? 
That's a hard one, man. That's like asking which daughter I love the most. Well, it's not, like, not the vegetarian. On, we know that. Well, <laughs> exactly. Depending on the day, I might like one more than the other, but I got to love them both because they're my daughters, right? Like, that's the challenge. I mean, it's, it's, oh, the, the thing I love about Weber, the thing I love about our products is it's helped people create the best memories in their backyard with their family and friends forever. And so asking me, like, it isn't about, if I had, if I could get a summit, I mean, I have every grill. I would probably have, shoot, 40 some grills here. I mean, we put grills on TVs as a TV stand when we have them outside because it's a perfect, you know, it just sits flat. Like, it's really hard because I could take a, a 22 and a half inch kettle and make some of the best food in the world. And to some people, that's what they can afford. And they've done it forever. And it is the best. And saying, well, I, I, I can buy this summit one of the best girls ever makes great pizzas, sear stuff, smoke stuff. And so for me, like, it's really hard to pick what my favorite is because we've had so many great memories and have created so many great memories with our family and friends with them that it's like, it's, it's painful to see like, Oh, it's this one. And then you're like, yeah, but wait, like the first girl I taught my daughter to cook on was a summit Kamado and it was a prototype and she was one and a half flipping chicken and putting cheese on stuff. Right. Like, and it's, it was the beautiful, beautiful memory. So I'm like, well, that would be it. But then, my other daughter, we started cooking on a, a summit. And so, I don't know, it's a cheesy way of answering it. But for me, like, it's so hard to pick what my favorite is because there's so many members. Like my dad, the first girl that he, he had in his backyard, and he taught me was the walk of shame. We had a 22-inch kettle and he wouldn't preheat it properly. He would use lighter fluid. And then he'd take them up to my, he'd take the steaks to my mom on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, and she'd send them back down to the grill because they weren't done. And he didn't <laughs> use temperature. He didn't use time. And that's the walk of shame, right? And so- it's all, it's all those beautiful memories you have of like, huh, to, to pick one, like, I would say the Summit Kamado is probably, I would put it up there, the WSM, like, they, they both smoke, but the WSM's like, dude, I can make you a steak or a burger, and you would be like, oh, it was good. It probably wasn't amazing. Like, if I threw a brisket for you that was cooking for 14 or 16 hours and it's got all this pepper and it's got all this smoke and all like, and that's where like the anticipation for that type of barbecue is greater. And so that might be the WSM because you can do that on there. And you, and, and it, and it, and that's where it's, it's odd. I ain't answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair enough. All right. Before like, you, let it you was go. like, what's your favorite sausage or what's the best way that I could say, well, I would go here meat wise, but ask me what's girl. That's too much. All right. All right. Let, so I'm going to give you the last question. So uh, you're the expert. What is something that maybe we've not addressed that you would like mm-hmm. uh, grillers to know or to keep in mind or whatever? What, like, what, what's the last piece of advice you would offer? I mean, for, for me, Chicago is such a sausage town, right? Like here, Wisconsin. And that's one thing that people butcher all the time is sausage. I mean, we're going into the tailgate season. There's nothing worse than cooking sausages, having those suckers rip open, all the grease is getting out. Now, if you're cooking for people you don't like, absolutely do it to them because it's just <laughs> funny to watch them eat it because they're like chewing on a stick. Yeah, but, Packer fans. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I mean, sausages is one of those things. Like I do them 325, 300 to 325. I do them for about 30 to 35 minutes. The casings naturally expand. You preheat the grill properly. You still get the marks, the browning to them all. You're just not going to bust that casing open. And it's it's so different when you eat sausage that way versus trying to cook it at 400 degrees direct heat because that sausage is eventually going to con- contract or expand so much that it's just going to pop. And so 
just take a little more time, even if you're on your Weber Traveler, throw them at 300 degrees, 325, and let them naturally come up. And, man, the experience is so much different than just trying to cook them at that 400, 425 rate where it just pops them, right? I mean, and that's the other thing, too, like with cooking. We're getting in the Thanksgiving season. We're getting in the holiday season. It's slowly approaching, even tailgate season. Like, if you're going to try something new for a crowd, try doing it the day before or the week before. That way you're not running into it blind. I know it sounds pretty basic, but a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to try this new thing at my tailgate. And all of a sudden we're drinking to forget, not drinking to celebrate that thing. So I, I think we need to spend more time, just spend a little more time doing that. Um, and, that and that's that's pretty much it. I mean, grilling's a fun thing. There's so much information online that you guys, that you can find on Weber.com. There's, I mean, we've got gadgets like our Weber Connect where you can basically, it'll tell you when you're, when to put your food on, when to turn it and when to take it off. It takes uh, such a huge thing of science into grilling to make it easier for you. So there's a lot of things out there that you can use that really make it easier to grill. Um, and then, you know, just, I mean, the weather's nice. It's, it's football season, big games on today, tomorrow, Saturday. So, I mean, I'm itching right now. I already got my order in for my butcher, so I'm ready to go. All right. Kevin Coleman, the grill master at Weber, the greatest job title that could ever possibly exist. We appreciate sure. you joining us. We want to thank Amanda for making it happen. And uh, like you said, go to the website, explore, look around. And, uh, you know, I think the thing I'm going to take away from our talk today is just to, to not be afraid and to, to experiment. Just try different things and, and see what happens and trust the process a little bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward. Now I'm getting, thinking about what I'm going to grill up for lunch. So appreciate the time, man. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you down the road. All good, guys. Have a great day, great weekend. And uh, look forward to getting back together with you soon. All right, Kevin, take care. That's Kevin Coleman the head grill master at Weber Grills. This has been Between Two Fats. We're sponsored by Fredo's Culinary Kitchen, Charlie the Bacon Guy, and Mazda of Orland Park. We will have a fresh I'm Fat podcast for you on Monday as well. So don't, don't you fret. This is a bonus episode. We'll talk to you Monday on the I'm Fat podcast. Mm-hmm.